0: Thanks for joining us on this week's episode, where we continue to discuss the Best Picture nominees from the 75th Academy Awards. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey.
1: Let's find out if the Oscars got it wrong. All right.
0: 2002 part yep. two part two of the bracket episodes we've done our matchups in part one we decide the matchups by Ron tomato score ties are broken by number of reviews we count to three we say which one we think should win we decide on a winner and a loser we do the losers last episode we're doing the winners this episode very fun so our winners this year are spirited away our number one seed our number two seed catch me if you can our number three seed, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Our number seven seed, the actual Best Picture winner, Chicago. And our fifth seed, Itumama Tambien.
1: Okay. So we will go through all of these in our usual fashion and say whether or not we would have been mad had this movie won Best Picture. Or in mm-hmm. the case of the one that did, are we mad? So true. So to begin, would you have been mad if Spirited Away had won Best Picture?
0: No. You? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Would you have been mad if Catch Me If You Can won Best Picture?
1: I think no. You? Yes. Okay. Would you have been mad if Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, had won Best Picture?
0: Absolutely not. Would have loved it. 10 out of 10, Lord of the Rings. You?
1: Yes. (laughs) We're in full disagreement today.
0: (laughs) All right. Chicago, are you mad that it won? I think no. How about you? Can I go? Yes. Hell yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Can we do it?
1: I mean, we can make it happen either way. Izu Mama and would you have been mad if it had won? No. I'm torn on this.
0: Are you gonna so make I it think happen? I'll say
1: yes, man. Let's make it happen.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Top to bottom disagreement. We don't know this which is way is up this week.
1: Happened to us before. It's an exciting, it's time.
0: unprecedented 2002 <laughs> is tearing us apart.
1: <laughs> OK, well, that means we, they're all in the same category. So we should talk That's about true. Chicago last, but the rest of them can go in whatever order.
0: OK, so let's just go in the order we're in, I guess, Spirited Away. I'm happy to sum that up.
1: Tell me about it.
0: Spirited Away is a animated Hayao Miyazaki film about a young girl who is moving to the country from the city with her parents. They take a wrong turn and end up at what they think is an abandoned amusement park. But the parents find some food there. And they start really digging in. And the daughter Chihiro wanders off. She runs into a little boy who's like, you got to leave. It's going to be dark. And she runs back to her parents. And her parents have been transformed into very large hogs. Rutro. She can't get back to the car. There's now a body of water in between her and where the car was. She starts to disappear. Turns out she's in the spirit world. And she needs to save her parents by transforming them back into people. So, the rest of the story is her trying to accomplish that goal. She ends up getting a job at this bathhouse that is sort of the center of this part of the spirit world. She has a number of sort of smaller adventures. It's a little bit like Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland in its structure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She learns a lot of lessons. She grows up. She saves her parents. They leave. That's spirited away.
1: Hell yeah, it is. Well done describing.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
1: uh if only the, the listeners could see you.
0: <laughs> yes, Now I'm, I'm drinking out of a mug that has no face and the soot spirits from Spirit Away on it, and I'm cuddling my no face plush. So, yeah, I said I wouldn't be mad, and I meant it. <laughs> Tell me how you felt about Spirit Away. Have you seen this before?
1: I had not seen this before. I found it charming and weird in a fun way, and obviously well made. I wasn't overly emotionally invested in anything that was happening. And so you know, I guess my main overriding description of it would be, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I thought it was fine. I do want to say, I I mostly want to let you talk about it, because I don't have a lot of thoughts about it, to Mm -hmm. be honest. I think the character design on No Face is awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, so I think broadly, it's beautiful. The animation is gorgeous. All Miyazaki films are beautiful. Sure. The score is beautiful. I love the sound design throughout this movie. One of my favorite small characters in this film is the radish spirit, who she meets very briefly in an elevator. And whenever he walks, his little feet squeak. It's just <laughs> so delightful. And I like the structure of it. I like the sort of dreamlike quality that I think is present in a lot of Miyazaki films. There's like a, a real uncanniness to his worlds that does just appeal to me. I love a lot of the characters we meet. I find them all pretty interesting. I think this is one of the most overtly anti-capitalist of Miyazaki's films. That's the theme that sort of runs through a lot of his films. A lot of his films are pretty anti-capitalist, pretty pro-environmental. And this one is specifically about the westernization of Japan and Japan's lost decades. So after they had a huge growth period, that sort of bust. And it's, you know, a meditation on greed. And I appreciate it at that level as well. I love No Face. He's one of my favorite mm-hmm. characters. He's so sad and so lonely and so empty. And I think the movie does really interesting things with him, both through him trying to appeal to Chihiro through greed and how that works on everyone else, on everyone else in the bathhouse. And then when he's able to get away and, and stay with Zaniba, who is our main witch's twin sister who lives out in the country. And she like makes things with her own hands, without magic, without mechanization, right? And it's set as contrast to the world of the bathhouse, which is very mechanized. And he's, you know, better off because he's not just filled up with other people's greed and negative habits. So I think there are thematic elements of this that really work well for me. Again, it's just so beautiful. It's a coming of age story. Actually, a number of these that pass through that I love are coming of age stories. I realize like solid three of them are. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the coming-of-age story, there's a line I love in this movie where one of the conceits is Yubaba, who is the bad witch. She takes away people's names when they come to the bathhouse so that they forget who they are and end up just working there sort of indefinitely. And when is talking to Haku who ends up being a river that she knew when she was younger, he says to her, everything that happens stays inside you, even if you can't remember it. And I just I was like, yeah, that's true. That really gets me. But Thank anyway... You. This is, it works for me at pretty much all levels, and yeah, parts of it are just so cute. I love the soot spirits; they're adorable as well. I love when she yeah, first comes, so cute. and they're they're all like, "Oh, let's all stop working. <laughs> this one's going to do our work for us." Yeah. But there is that dark element too, where they're enchanted to do work, and so if they stop doing work, they'll cease to exist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the radish spirit is so cute, and I love when the big baby gets turned into a mouse, who says choo. <laughs> I loved the big baby getting turned into a mouse too. <laughs> yes. So that's a lot, but I love it. It's not my favorite Miyazaki. I think it is maybe his best.
1: That's Spirited Away. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I shall describe Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can is based on a real person who uh, was a con artist as a teenager, and it follows him as he goes on to bigger and bigger fraud schemes and also the FBI agent who is tracking him all along the way and eventually does arrest him and then enlist him to join the FBI and help them find other fraud people. But over the course of the movie, he leaves his parents, pretends to be an airline pilot and cashes checks that way and flies all over the place. He eventually pretends to be a doctor, meets a woman, falls in love with her leaves and goes to where her family is where he then pretends to be a lawyer (laughs) that's quite a life and all along he's like trying to stay connected to his parents who have gotten divorced and he's alienated from that his dad is under investigation for fraud on his own end Uh, and then our fbi agent is also very lonely and trying to track him down and it becomes about this sort of father-son relationship the two of them develop over the course of the movie. And so they remain friends, supposedly, until the rest of their lives. At the end, you get a little postscript: here's what happened to everyone thing. And I will say, there has been some reconsideration of how truthful a lot of the things about this guy are, but we don't have to get into that. That's a soft way to put it. Let's treat it as fiction, and then just enjoy it as a Spielberg movie.
0: I do want to say... I was reading that, too. So if you yeah. go to Frank Abnail's Wikipedia page, since the 70s, journalists have been debunking his claims. Basically, most of what he said he did, he was in jail in upstate New York when he said it was happening. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I kind of love that even more. I love that his whole autobiography is a con. His con is a con. Yeah. <laughs> it does not It doesn't ruin the movie for me at all. I think it makes it better. I think it's just hilarious.
1: I mean, he pulled off the biggest con of all. Spielberg made
0: a movie about him. Yeah, it's great. So I enjoy that very much. Now, yes. for what it is, I also think it's great. Like the stories he made up. They're fantastic. great stories. He great should story. be a screenwriter. Honestly, he's a, he's definitely a, a fabulist. And there's a couple of films we're going to talk about in this episode where we've in recent years seen sort of semi autobiographical pictures from the directors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know that Spielberg has been wrestling with these broken family themes for a long time. But I think in light of the Fablemans, it's maybe even more interesting to watch this movie. But I think all the family stuff works and you're just you just feel bad for this kid who is clearly so sad and so desperate to try to put his family back together. And he's been raised in this society where he's like, if I'm wealthy and successful, I can do anything. So he thinks Mm -hmm. if I get wealthy and successful, I can just fix my family. And it's like,
1: that's not really how that works. Not quite. I think the unveiling of his family story works so well at the beginning the first time we see them together is when his father is winning an award at the American Legion or whatever and he's giving a speech about how great his family is and how they all love each other so much and then we see them at the house and the parents are telling the story of how they met during the war. She's French, he was a GI, they met and fell in love and he brought her back to America and they're like dancing and having this wonderful time and then like little threads of it start to unravel, right? So you've got the dad waking him up in the middle of the night to be like, you're skipping school, we're gonna go get you a suit and they're like running a scheme basically he's having the kid pretend to be his
0: driver we learn is his dad is a con man
1: (laughs) yeah he's having the son pretend to be his driver so that he can go into the bank and ask for a loan and pretend that he's this very important person because he needs the loan to cover what is the government is investigating his company because They've been doing some kind of fraud. And so it all just starts to like fall apart. Then we find out that the parents' relationship is not super solid. The mother is probably having an affair with this friend and then the parents are going to get divorced and it comes to a head when they're actually going to get divorced. The lawyers come and say to our main character, you just have to pick which parent you want to live with, write it down on this piece of paper and then sign it. And, like, he's at this breaking point in his life, right, where you're deciding your path, and the path he decides is neither. (laughs) He runs away. He runs away. He's not going to deal with it, and he's going to just fix it all by becoming the man his dad always pretended to be, right? He has this child's view of how it's all going to work, Mm -hmm. fed to him by his father, of course. And so he just happens to be super intelligent and able to make these schemes happen. But the idea, like, why he's doing it is, is just
0: never never gonna work buddy no and it's you're so never sad. gonna put your family back together <laughs> it's just so it's bad. tragic yes. this movie has is one of two i think i've mentioned this before on the podcast because this is also the scene in toy story 3 one of two instances i'm aware of in a spielberg movie where mm-hmm. this is at the end of the film he's on his last leg and he runs to his mom's house and finds she has a new child and he looks in through the window and realizes it's fully over the child's three or four years old he's like yeah. It's done. And he talks to her through the window and because he's like trying to figure out who she yeah, is. Yeah, and he's like, who's your mom? And she points at his mom and he's like, take me in, Frank. Take me in. <laughs> no, not Frank. Get me is, in the car. Take me in, Carl. Frank is him, yeah. 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 Take
1: me in, Carl. Get me in the car, Carl. And you're just like, oh, uh, this poor little devastating. boy. Devastating.
0: <laughs> just devastating. So there's that emotional layer, which I find really works. And then on top yeah. of it, the cons are just so fun. They're oh, yeah. just so fun. I want to talk about two things in particular one mm-hmm. is so he's been pretending to be an airline pilot the way he figures out how to be an airline pilot is he pretends to be a student journalist who's interviewing someone at pan am to like get information yep. which is awesome it's so cool so cool so carl who is our fbi agent played by tom hanks hand ratty starts to get on his trail and they track him down to a motel mm-hmm. and they come face to face and it's a great scene it's so fun. it's like an impeccable scene. So Hanreddy learns that the, the guy is still there. So he goes up to the room and he's like, oh, he's still here. And Leo is in the bathroom and he comes out, but he's wearing a suit. And he pretends to be a Secret Service agent who's also tracking this guy. And the tension in that scene, Leo like being like, Am I, how, do I, how do I play this? Yeah. The balls on this kid. It's incredible.
1: I mean, there's a reason Connors are called confidence artists right he's carried through all of this on sheer confidence and just like if i act like i know what i'm doing everyone else will believe it to be true and he's done that his whole life and he learned it from his dad who also is trying to do it but like Every scene he's in is that. I, I mean, I love him pretending to be the substitute teacher at his new Yes, at the beginning,
0: before the story really starts, where he's had to transfer to a school because they've lost their house because of his dad's financial troubles. Mm-hmm. And he walks in and someone's like a dick to him. And so he just pretends to be their substitute teacher. And he does that for like a full week.
1: Yeah, the parents have to get called in because
0: they're like, he's been pretending to be a substitute teacher for two weeks. He's <laughs> like, been teaching French what? classes, so it's not really like it's a kind of an attendance issue, but kind of not an. He's been here.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, well, we can't say he hasn't been attending. He's come every day, but that's wild. But yeah, back to the the scene. He really is just like, okay, the agent is in my room. How do I get out of this? I will just bullshit my way through it, and he absolutely does, and it. it the scene works because, obviously, the tension's great, it's shot so well, obviously, all that. But it's teaching you so much about both of these characters, and it's just incredible how it works. He is pretending to be the Secret Service agent, then Hanratty asks him for his ID, and he throws his whole wallet at He's like, sure, take my whole wallet. But then he, like, distracts him so that he doesn't get to open the wallet. <laughs> he sees them putting a guy in a car, which is a totally unrelated situation. But he's like, that's him. We just arrested mm-hmm. him. He's over there. And Tom Hanks' character is so relieved because he's a fucking check fraud expert for the FBI who never jockey. goes out in the field. Yeah. And so he is, like, so stressed through this whole experience. He's holding a gun on a person, which he never does. And he's like, can I believe him? What am I do? It seems like he's... He's not nervous. I'm more nervous than him. He's probably telling the truth, and so you're learning about Carl. But you also get to see that Frank is nervous. There are parts where he turns away from Carl and towards the camera, and he's drinking water, and you're like, he's freaking out <laughs> right now. But he just—it's impressive how the confidence just carries him through. And then it went, at the end. When he's like, all right, uh, I'll come back and meet you. Let me carry
0: some of these files downstairs. Handrunny's like, He's oh, you carrying want your his machine that helps him forge. He's yeah. like, I got to take this evidence sensor. Oh, you can hold on to my wallet. That's fine. I'll yeah. be back. He, well, Handrunny's like, you want your wallet? And he's
1: like, hang on to it for me. <laughs> and then he leaves, and Carl sits down, like, phew, thank God that's over. Wait a second. Let me check his wallet. And he is such a child that he has a wallet full of labels he's pulled off of bottles.
0: <laughs> and he gets away. And he it's gets away. great. There's also, I mean, part of the through line of his relationship with Carl too is he calls him every Christmas because Carl is always working.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's heartbreaking. Carl's the only person who even like remotely actually knows him. And you're like, the sad little boy. Yeah, well,
1: but then Carl's story is he has a daughter and an ex-wife who he never sees. And he's living in this fantasy world of he tells Frank that his daughter is four and his daughter is now a teenager. And you find out at the end of the movie like,
0: Sometimes it's easier to live the lie, is
1: what he says. Right. And so they have these... Christmas Eve phone calls, and the first one, he's like, Why is he calling me? Like, trying to get a handle on it. And he's like, You don't have anyone else to call, do you? And you're like, Oh, that's sad. And yeah, you've pinned him, but also, you don't have anywhere else to be, Carl. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. where are you? I mean, that's there? an interesting scene, too, because he tells him where he is, and Carl's like, Oh, yeah, like, we're going to yeah. show up with a big force, and you're going to play another trick on me. But he tells him where we
1: really is. I mean, he wants to be caught. He doesn't want to be doing this. It's a very stressful life to lead. <laughs> and wants <laughs> but, to be you know.
0: wanted and needed.
1: And yeah. loved. And loved.
0: I love the scene when Carl next almost catches him, when he's at Martin Sheen's house at, their, at his engagement party love with Amy Martin Adams. Martin Sheen in this. Martin Sheen's yeah. great in this. But his engagement party with Amy Adams, and I quote that scene all the time, because Leo eventually reveal- reveals to Amy Adams, like, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I'm 17 years old, which honestly is so horrific. I felt so bad for her. She thinks she's engaged to a 28-year-old doctor lawyer. And then to find out he's actually 17 years old, you'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> he might be 18 at that point, but he's a teenager. Well, no, he tells her he's 17.
1: <laughs> well, I think he claimed to be 10 years older. So she you know, must think he's 27 or something.
0: But Either yeah, way, gonna... to find out you're, you've been sleeping with and dating a 17-year-old, you would be upset about it. I'd be upset sure that's the most upsetting thing to me but anyway her reaction to all of this is you're not a Lutheran (laughs) which I just think is funny
1: but she's so naive and charming in this
0: I was watching the scene so Carl ends up figuring out he must be upstairs he comes upstairs and like the filmmaking of this was so unnecessarily awesome so Carl sees a dollar bill float out from underneath the door he knows that Frank must be in there. He runs into the room. The camera pans around so you see his shadow. And then you see Amy Adams up against the wall. And then Carl is framed in a mirror. And you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know why you felt you needed to do this. But I really loved it, I mean, Steven. Spielberg
1: has to flex occasionally. He's just stunting on
0: him. <laughs> and you're just like,
1: that was awesome. I loved it. That so true. I really liked it. Yeah, that's incredible. I just, the, all, the emotional through line of it works so incredibly well. I love when he starts to get sort of disillusioned with his dad, there are a few scenes where he sees his dad while he's on the run. Mm-hmm. And so at first he goes back and, and tries to give him a car. And the dad's like, I can't take this car. I'm under investigation. Are you crazy? I can't be driving around in this fancy car. But he does sort of wrap up the lunch with like, my son's buying me a car. Like Christopher Walken's incredible with the tears in his eyes. But it's still the, the son leaves it thinking like, well, at least... My dad is proud of the things I'm accomplishing, right? And he, they end it with the fiction of the dad being like, Where are you flying tonight, son? And he's like, Oh, I'm flying to Hollywood. <laughs> but then there's a later scene where they see each other and it's like at a dive bar and things are clearly going worse for the dad. And he's trying to get the son to stay and I don't know, help him with something really depressing. <laughs> and Leo's character in that one has to be like, Okay, I'm, I gotta leave. And he like leaves the scene and you're like he's it's just learning that your dad is not who you thought he was growing up and it's
0: and devastating the last time he sees him because when he's coming back with carl from france he finds out that yeah. his dad just fell down a flight of stairs and died
1: i mean it's fucked up which is part of
0: the fact that his family's never his dad fell down a flight of stairs and died and then he goes to see his mom and she has a new family and you're just like oh
1: boy. but i mean she's had the new family it's in the first lunch scene when the dad tells him that she's remarried yeah but it's
0: worse because she has a whole new kid she's replaced him he doesn't know about the kid yeah it's one thing to replace the dad it's another thing to replace him not that obviously she feels that way but you know in his mind
1: absolutely I think it's interesting how much Spielberg is able to build both of them, but obviously particularly the father into a character just in the like, shadows of this life, right? You don't see very much of them, but the little bits you do tell you so much about them. And it's just really interesting. And like seeing the repercussions of what his dad was like on him, how he has ended up this way, the happy moments that he's trying to recapture, the fucked upness that has turned him into what he is. It's just so interesting to see the reverberations. But man, he's so sad. And Tom he's Hanks so is so sad. And they just want to have a family. Yeah. Why can't they just have a
0: family? Yeah, this one doesn't get listed when people usually list Spielberg's greats, but I think it's pretty great. It's really great. It does all the Spielberg
1: stuff you would want. There's just these little specific character moments that tell you so much about the people. I think the thing with him pulling the labels off of stuff is fascinating. And the way that that is brought back into the story, he just likes to give you character development in these unexpected ways. But I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the Fablemans because, yeah, all of the stuff with, like, broken families has been such an interesting theme for him. And the mother
0: having an affair and, you know, the feelings of abandonment. Mm -hmm. He's wrestling with it. He's wrestling with it throughout his filmography. And this is one of those instances.
1: Yeah. People are obviously shaped by their childhoods. So, so interesting.
0: That Steven Spielberg is pretty good filmmaker, huh? Yeah, I think he's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and it is worth mentioning. So we mentioned in our last episode that this was a very difficult year to narrow down to ten films. We yeah. considered also doing Minority Report, and I only mention that to say he he just gives us so much. He just gives us so much, yeah, so range. many different things. He says, <laughs> "You want all of this?" And I go, "Yes, yeah, Steven, I do." <laughs> yeah don't don't limit yourself steven give it to me
1: i want all that you have to offer i do want to spend a little bit just talking about how cool the con stuff is because we haven't really gotten into it the stuff that he pulls is just delightful (laughs) the cons are so fun it's kind of almost like a heist movie the stuff that he pulls off i mean the pulling the stickers off of the fake airplanes to put onto his Pan Am checks like just these little weird detailed things where you're like that's so cool (laughs) so cool that he did that and then you have the moment of he just basically walks into a place and pretends to be a doctor, and it's not a big deal. But then when he's pretending to be a lawyer, he takes the bar in Louisiana. I love that button
0: where Carl is constantly like, There's one thing I can't figure out. How'd you pass the bar? Just tell me if you could just tell me how you passed the tell bar. Him
1: and he won't tell him. And he says,
0: And then in, on the plane at the end, he says, I, I, No, it's after the plane, probably.
1: I think it's after. It's when he's working at the, or maybe it's when he's getting him out of jail. But yeah. It's like in the later stuff. And he's like, I studied for two weeks and I passed it. <laughs> that's how he oh, did it so cool a cool guy <laughs> just incredible stuff I like how he gives you the hand ratty side of it and how he clearly cares about this kid and like once he's been I think once arrested, he realizes
0: he's a kid right he's a kid yeah,
1: yeah. and I like him figuring out he's a kid because he the fake identity he gave him was Barry Allen right. the Flash <laughs>
0: And he's in a diner um, and a waiter is like, you a fan of The Flash? And he's like, what, he's are, like, you what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Come back here. <laughs> like, Barry Allen, it's The Flash. He's like, oh, my God, it's yeah, a Barry kid. On. It's a kid. I also, to your point of like, right, the skill of the con man is confidence. I love when he's pretending to be a doctor and he's actually called in for a call. And he just basically yeah. bullies the other doctors into being like, do you concur? Do you? And then he leaves that interaction. And the one doctor is like, oh, God, I, I should have concurred. concurred.
1: We should say the cast is extraordinary. Oh. You want to talk about all of the the women?
0: Yes. So obviously, Hanks. This is a DiCaprio we really like. He kind of has a romance, but the story doesn't hinge on it, so you don't have to worry about it. It's minor. But Spielberg, in his capacity for finding talent, which is another one of his Mm -hmm. many, many skills. Many skills. (laughs) There are a number of small roles for women throughout this movie, and it is just like a murderer's row of people who are very famous now. So the mm-hmm. very small role of Ellen Pompeo, where she plays a flight attendant who he hooks up with very briefly. Elizabeth Banks is a bank teller. Mm-hmm. Appropriate. <laughs> yes. Small Jennifer Garner role also. And that's a fun little bit where he's taken on like a Bond persona and he tricks her. She's a prostitute yes. into giving him $400. Well, but she
1: also was a was like when they meet. She was like, oh, you probably have seen me on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, ha- cool, a model. And then she comes in and she's like, hey, how much would you pay to sleep with me? Basically, and He gets you're $400 like, out of her and it's really fun. He does.
0: It's a great con. And then slightly larger role. But, you know, a young Amy Adams is the woman he gets engaged to. And you're just like, "All oh, these people are so famous now, Stephen. You mm-hmm. did it. <laughs> you
1: really did it, Stephen. So good at finding talent. It's a great movie. I love
0: it. Big fan. One of my favorite Spielbergs. (laughs) Spielberg, you absolute genius. All right. You ready to talk about Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers? Yeah,
1: and thank God you're the one giving the description again. Okay.
0: (laughs) So, as we mentioned, The Two Towers is the second installment in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, where we've left off at the end of The Fellowship. The Fellowship is broken up. Frodo and Sam have gone on their Mm -hmm. own to destroy the ring in Mordor, Boromir, died. Gandalf also seemingly died. And then Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas are going to try to find Pippin and Merry, who have been captured and taken by orcs. And so throughout Two Towers, we're sort of tracking these characters' multiple storylines. Frodo and Sam end up finding Gollum, who is trying to get the ring back from Frodo and taming him, for lack of a better word. And he becomes their guide through Mordor. The beginning of it on the Aragorn side is Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli tracking Merry and Pippin. So they spend some time doing that. They realize that, of course, they are taking the hobbits to Isengard. And Merry and Pippin are able to escape from the orcs on their own, who are killed by some men. And they end up having their own separate storyline where they hang out with some, you know, living trees and spend some time there. But yeah. Basically, we're tracking Frodo and Sam as they try to make their way to the volcano to destroy the ring. They run into Faramir, who is Boromir's brother. He tries to take the ring from them, but they manage to get away. And then with Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas, and returning Gandalf, who comes back, he's sort of like reborn. They end up going to Rohan and helping them defend their people against the armies of Sormon. And also the Ents destroy Sormon's whole thing whole thing they just <laughs> he gets he gets rocked by trees that's pretty much it yeah
1: sure is this is another one where um people have probably heard me talk about lord of the rings before not a huge fan <laughs> don't really care for it i could appreciate the construction i think that the battle in this one is really fun this is your favorite of the three right yeah i guess i could say that i think that The Tower Battle is really cool to watch. I think there's some fun one-liners in this one. I like the humor of it. But just generally, like, if I didn't have to watch these movies for this podcast, I would never watch them again, is how I feel about it. Do you have any thoughts on why that is? I mean, fantasy stuff generally is not something that appeals to me innately. There's very little fantasy that I read or watch most of the time. I don't know that. Like, I'm not emotionally connected to these characters. <laughs> I do not really care about them. It's like I can watch and be like, "Yeah, I get the Sam and Frodo bond. They're bonding hard. I get the Merry Pippin dynamic. You know, I, I actually don't hate the Arwen and Aragorn relationship." I like Liv Tyler more than most people, I think. I just don't care. Like, I don't care about the ring and the evil and the good defeating the evil and the carrying it through the things and the flying winged monsters and the, like, I just, it doesn't really do anything for me. Okay, eh, I don't know why that is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cause I guess we didn't really get too much into like why Spirit Away doesn't also really connect with you. And I don't know if there's something just distancing about the fantastical elements. For that you. might
1: be it. Yeah, I don't feel in it in the way I do and with things that are just about like people being people. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I can respect the world building, but I don't care for it. I'd rather just be in the regular world.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you ready for me to talk yeah. at length about Lord of the Rings? The two. I mean, I'm
1: ready for you to to give any thoughts about Lord of the Rings. I know that you love it. How do you feel about this one in of like of the three? If you have a ranking of the three, this is my least
0: favorite of the three. Order? I like fellowship best, but that is normal mm-hmm. for me. I'm usually an origin story person. I almost sure. always like the origin story in a series best. And then, you know, you get all the wrap-up with Return of the King, which I know you feel has too many endings, but if I find it very cathartic and satisfying. It's so much goddamn wrap-up. I mean, if I was invested with the character,
1: sure, maybe I would like half an hour of ending with them.
0: Exactly. So I mean, I still love this movie. I still think it mm-hmm. is incredible and awesome and perfect. But if I had to rank the three... It's the least perfect of the three perfect yes, movies. Yes, it's the least perfect of the three I had a, a joke in my mind, which I don't know if we'll talk about later, but I was like, man, there's a part of my being where if all of the Lord of the Rings movies won every Oscar every year, I'd be like, that's good. I'm fine with that. I love <laughs> like, it.
1: That's appropriate. It's fine. You say like, hey, Kelsey,
0: <laughs> it's not eligible for documentary short subject. And I'd be like, says you. <laughs> They've made documentary style things around Lord of the Rings. You could do one of those. I have other good news for you. I have been rereading the book, so I have some thoughts about it as an adaptation also.
1: Okay, great. I need you to provide thoughts about this movie because I don't have a lot of So
0: I'm partway actually through Two Towers. The biggest point that I forgot, because I read these books before the movies originally came out. So I was both quite young, because we were like 11 when the movies came out. And it was a long time ago at this point. So I had fully forgotten that each book of The Lord of the Rings, so like Fellowship, Two Towers, Return of the King, is split into two books. So there's two separate sections in each of them. And in Fellowship, they're kind of broken up by like just the events that happen. But in Two Towers, the first book is just Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Pippin, and Merry. And so you get into Two Towers, and for like 250 pages, no Frodo and Sam. And then the second book Mm -hmm. is just Frodo and Sam's part of the story. The rest of the guy's story is wrapped up in Two Towers. So I think it's interesting Mm -hmm. as an adaptation that the screenwriters had to make all of the decisions about when to intercut the stories, which I, again, fully forgotten about, but an interesting adaptational challenge that I think they just excelled at. perfect 10 out of 10 so good <laughs> the other thing that's interesting is they really move things around so the i think one of the better choices that they made and you know again perfect choices all the great yes. choices that they made yes. is the ending of fellowship is a portion of the beginning of the two towers so frodo and sam leave at the end of the fellowship but like the battle with the orcs doesn't happen until the beginning of the two towers and boromir doesn't die until the beginning of the two towers and okay. they really change up how the characters say goodbye to one another. Like, Aragorn never says goodbye to Frodo in the books. And you're like, Ugh. I was listening to that part of the book when I was driving to work, and I was just, like, tearing up thinking about all of their moments of heroism and goodbye at the end of fellowship, which don't exist in the <laughs> books. And then the Two Towers cuts off, both stories cut off before they do in the book. So we don't, in the movie see like gandalf go to isengard and them get the palantir that's in the book the two towers and likewise frodo and sam get further they get to shelop by the end the big spider by the end of two towers so they Mm. cut off the end so this one gets it's like chunked off which i thought was interesting too because i forgot that i know you have a problem with the amount of women in these movies. But it is very Mm -hmm. interesting the extent to which they really do beef up the female roles in all the books. They give Arwen a lot more to do. They get Galadriel a lot more to do. They give Eowyn a lot more to do, which is great. And then they also, I think, do good things with the characters. They add a lot more doubt to the characters. Like, Aragorn in the books is, like, baby Simba. And Aragorn in the movies is, like, (laughs) adolescent Simba. And sure. I think it's much better I for like him. That to, is a comparison. It's much better for him to be like, I don't know if I can be king. As opposed to just being like, I'm the fucking king. Like, why isn't everyone yeah. just like I'm not here, guys? Be a mighty king. You're to be king. And they give more agency to our like fellowship members. So like also the ants pretty much very early on decide they're gonna fuck up Saruman in the books. And I think it's better to give that to Marion Pippin to push them to help. The yeah. only thing that I've gotten to that bumps me out about the adaptation is the elimination of the huorns. Who are sort of like Ents, but more tree like. And they're these trees that are alive, but they move as a shadow. And so you'll be like somewhere. And then the next thing you know, you're just in a forest. And oh shit. Like they're very helpful. So when Mary and Pippin escape from the orcs, the horns come and surround their bodies. And when they come back, like the orcs' bodies are just gone. It's pretty cool. Okay. (laughs) They're in the extended editions, but not in the theatrical cut. So anyway, those are just some notes on the adaptation and the great work that, you know, Fran and Philippa and uh, Peter did going Mm -hmm. into the films. Again, every time I watch the movies, I'm obsessed with the production design I think the fact that Peter Jackson has this horror background works really well for the stories. I think there are things that he does that another director would not do, whether that's the sort of grotesque close-ups of the orcs, which I always enjoy. And then in this one in particular, the way Theoden, the the King of Rohan, looks when he's under Wormtongue's control, and then that transition Mm -hmm. to him once he's out of his grasp. Love that love the way the guys in the marsh look the dead guys who are underwater i think that's awesome and then one part in particular that i also enjoy in this movie is after aragorn falls during the battle with the wargs which is also not in the book that's an invention for the movies You have that bit with Arwen where Elrond is explaining to her, if you stay, he's gonna die, and then you're just gonna walk the earth forever by yourself. I just thought it was so beautiful and melancholy, her in that black shroud, sort of walking without him. So really visually enjoyed Mm -hmm. that. The Battle of Helm's Deep is probably the best battle in the series. Obviously they pioneered a number of visual effects, techniques to have a lot of people, but there's still tons of extras, just a lot of guys. The casting continues to be stellar. I'm always excited to see Brad Dorf. I love him. Mm. Love him as Tongue. He sucks. And you know yeah. I love Carl Urban. So <sighs> I mean you and me both, buddy. I've never had a problem with Carl Urban. Happy when Amr shows up. Yeah, and then there's, you know, some great iconic moments. The, the classic, they're taking the Hobbits to Isengard, which everyone should know the the remix of that early YouTube video, an all-timer you got potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a mm-hmm. stew. I say that all the time, just constantly. I'm quoting it. Mm-hmm. The toss me callback is great, where Gimli tells Aragorn to toss him, and he's like, don't tell the mm-hmm. elf. Legless shield surfing down some stairs while he just arrows people. Hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> Gollum is an incredible creation. This is the first time that we really see him in the trilogy. It's, you know, it. It doesn't look flawless by modern standards, but it still looks pretty good. And, you know, Andy Serkis' performance is great. One of the things I have enjoyed when I've listened to the books instead of reading them is I have the versions that are narrated by Andy Serkis. So he does full Mm -hmm. Gollum voice when he's Gollum, and it's real good. And then, yeah, there's just some other quotes in this one that I really love. Towards the end, when Frodo's feeling immense doubt, and he says, you know, what are we holding on to, Sam? And he says that there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. And then I also love the ending when Sam is talking to Frodo about, you know, I wonder if they'll tell stories about us, about, you know, Frodo and his trip to destroy the ring. And Frodo says, well, Frodo wouldn't gotten far without Sam. Sam was the brave. And it really gets me. I understand that the characters don't work for you, but I'm deeply emotionally invested in their relationships. You know, I love tales of heroism.
1: I mean, honestly, I'm very glad that you're getting so much out of this story. That's what storytelling is for. Yeah. And it bums me out that
0: you're not. But such is life. God knows you get a lot of other stories that we talk about that I am like, this was bad. Yeah, that happens
1: very constantly on this podcast. It's true. So this is your uh, taste
0: of it. Yes. So yeah, I love it. 10 out of 10.
1: Perfect You're film. not alone.
0: The world loves it. Greatest trilogy ever, but it is my least favorite. When we talk about Fellowship, it's going to get even worse.
1: I mean, I can't wait because, you know, that's my least favorite.
0: Oh, yeah, so much. <laughs> I will not shock you to tell you that I actually rewatched the whole trilogy. So,
1: Yeah, that doesn't shock me at yeah. all. Well, I don't know when we're doing that year, but yeah, can't wait. Uh, can't wait. Either. And then when we do that year, I might never have to watch these movies again in my life. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows what will happen to you? I, you never really know. Oh, I do want to say, I wrote down f- four notes, great. so I can share my sure. notes with you if you'd like. Yeah. I wrote down, Legolas, what do your elf
0: eyes see? Which I think is hilarious. That's a great line.
1: It's, I mean, <laughs> it's very
0: funny that all of Legolas's lines are just things he sees. <laughs> it's what
1: it is to be an elf. I think it's funny that Shadowfax is the lord of all horses.
0: Hilarious. Yeah. here's the thing, though, right? Again, if you've read the books, when Shadowfax shows up, the crowd goes wild.
1: I'm sure they do. He's the lord of all horses. I wrote, I think it's funny that Sam and Frodo sneaking through the gates of Mordor is just the scene from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> like, it's so the same scene mm-hmm. from The Wizard of Oz. And then... I liked Gandalf pretending to be a weak old man and having Legolas help him walk
0: when they're sneaking in. That scene is so much fun. (laughs) he brings his staff with him. He would part an old man from his walking stick. His walking stick. And then I do like that that guard, his friend tries to like stop them and he's like, don't, just let the, we need to let this happen. Just let it be. Yeah. Wormtongue is clearly no good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think we can all agree. This guy sucks. All right. Well, those are my thoughts on Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Right. Itumama Tambien. Indeed, tell me about it. Okay, Mama Tambien is a coming-of-age road movie. We love a road movie. This is about two teenage best friends in Mexico, and one of them comes from a very wealthy and powerful family and the other one seems to come from sort of middle, middle class background. And so at the beginning they're just enjoying their summer and going to these fancy parties that the rich boy's family is holding and they're having a wedding and like the president of Mexico is there if that gives you an idea of what this family is like. And at the party they meet one of his cousins who he hasn't seen in a long time and this guy's new wife from Spain. And so the new wife from Spain is really hot, and they're both teenage boys, and they're like, we should find a way to spend some time with this cousin's wife. And so at the party, they sort of invite her on a whim, like, we'll take you to the coolest beach around. You should come with us, we're going to this beach. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, my husband will probably love it, sure, I'll get back to you. And then in the meantime, after this party, things fall apart in her relationship. The husband is away, he calls her drunk and tells her that he cheated on her. And she's going through it. And so on a whim- She's also gotten some medical tests back. Yes, but they don't really get into that.
0: We don't know what they are. We just know she's gotten no. some medical tests back.
1: Sure. And so on a whim, she calls up these boys and she's like, hey, I want to go to the beach. You guys still going? And they're like, yeah, sure. We're going. <laughs> and so they all set out on the road together to find this beach that doesn't really exist. They don't really know where they're going, but they're just trying to have a fun time. So a lot of it is them in the car, just telling her stories about their friends and this pact that all the friends made together. And they've written a manifesto for their friendship with rules that they follow. And she's just sort of letting them entertain her and distract her from her troubles. And then somewhere along the way, she's having sort of like emotional highs and lows. And at an emotional low moment, one of the boys walks into her room and she's like, you know what? Let's have sex. That'll distract me. And so she has sex with the boy and the other friend finds out about it and it just blows up their relationship, the two friends, because now there's a power imbalance between them. Secrets start coming out. Also,
0: it violates their manifesto.
1: Exactly. They have rules they're supposed to be following. And now the one that feels bad because he didn't sleep with her is like, well, you know, I actually slept with your girlfriend. You didn't know that, did you? And so then that becomes the whole thing where he's having to grovel for forgiveness for having slept with the girlfriend. And then the woman is like, oh, man, I fucked up. I ruined this fun time I was having. I got to correct this imbalance. And so then in the car later, she's like, I think uh, that we should have sex to the other one that she hasn't had sex with, because <laughs> that will even the scales. <laughs> and so then the first boy is very upset about it, and he runs off she has sex with this other kid and then she's like so can we all be friends again it's fine still simmering and then it comes out that the other one has slept with the other one's girlfriend as well (laughs) such betrayal so it's betrayal all around they're having a fight she's like i can't deal with this drama and nonsense i'm fucking leaving so she just gets out of the car while the two of them are fighting and she's walking away and the they managed to resolve their nonsense enough to go after her and be like, no, 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 don't leave. We'll we'll be okay. And so she gets back in the car and she's like, these are my new rules. You guys can't fight. You can't talk about any of this nonsense. You're all going to do exactly what I want to do. I want to go to the beach. I want to sunbathe topless and you're not going to ogle me. She like gives them all of the rules and they're like, okay, great, 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 great. And so remarkably... They manage to accidentally find a very cool beach, even though they don't know where they're going. And they spend this lovely time at the beach. They meet a family that happens to be fishermen in the area who give them a tour of the various beaches and islands. They spend time with the kids of this family. They're like bonding with them, having a wonderful time. And then last night, they all get really drunk, the three of them together, and then have a threesome. And in the morning, the boys are like, "Ah, fuck oh god oh it's awkward and she's like i think i'm gonna stay with this family you guys need to head home so go ahead and get out of here they both i guess spend a drive in silence together back to their hometown and kind of drift apart we pop forward a little in time the two of them run into each other and they're like oh we should get coffee and so they catch up find out where they're going to school what's going on with their lives now and we find out that the woman has died she had found out before she went on this road trip with them that she had a condition that was going to kill her—terminal cancer, some sort of like an. Yeah, I don't remember if it was an inoperable tumor. Or no, it had spread throughout her body. The thing.
0: cancer had spread throughout her body.
1: So she knew all along that she was not going to live much longer than this. And then they're like, "Oh, that's a bummer." It was like a formative childhood experience for me. <laughs> and then at the end of their coffee, they're like, "Oh, we should get together again sometime." And we, the uh, screen is like, they never saw each other again and that's the end
0: i think it's worth saying that during the threesome we see them kissing each other so they become intimate yes. with each other i think that's a yes. critical part that's the the main thing about it that changes their relationship yes, that changes their dynamic what are your thoughts about this movie i really liked it i was shocked it's so good right because <laughs> the start of it is not necessarily a thing that i think i'll like we've had some sort of drug-laden road trip movies where i've been like no don't care yeah but this is the other one where we've now seen this autobiographical film from Corona. I think there's some parallels mm-hmm. here between Roma and the story as well. Some of them are like small moments. Some of them are sort of bigger things. Thematics. But yeah, by the end, I, I left this movie. I was real melancholy. I was real sad at the end mm-hmm. when their relationship was over. And like, I don't. I, so
1: was their childhood. So you was know? their
0: childhood. But also like, are they ever going to come to terms with what happened between them and what that meant for them? Seems like no. Yeah, that's a bummer. They're just going to bury that. It makes me sad.
1: It's sad. (laughs) It's a very melancholy ending. So yeah, this is
0: one of the movies where I left it and I just, I felt real heavy for a little while afterwards. It really came Mm -hmm. together in a way that that worked for me at the end. And Oh, the other thing was, they've told her this beach is called Heaven's Mouth. And then when they Mm -hmm. get to this beach that they find, they meet the family and Chewie, who's the dad, is taking them to another beach that is... Incidentally, actually called Heaven's Mouth. It's this, you know, it's this beautiful coincidence. But one of the things that I liked about this movie was there are these voiceovers that happen, which are doing the same thing that was sort of happening in Roma, where there's all this political stuff happening in the background, and it's just sort of backdrop. And I've watched these two movies, and I I just wish I knew more about Mexican history, because I think it would make it a richer Uh experience. And I'm like, "Ah, this is my fault. 100% my fault, but I can tell there's, like, a lot going on. Well, not 100%. That's true. It's my school system's fault. So I'm like, oh, this could be richer. But you can tell, right? Like, there's the political stuff that's going on in the background, which is sort of similar to Roma. That's interesting. And obviously, Tanača's family, who's Diego Luna's, they're all connected. That He's the one who the president comes to his Mm -hmm. sister's wedding. and Yep there's a lot going on there and then the other small moment which i thought really connected to roma is as part of their road trip they drive by the town that his nanny is from and there's this little moment of where they say like he called his nanny mom until he was four years old and as they're driving past this town he doesn't even remark on it to his friends but it just really hits him that he's never seen this place where this woman who he loves is from and i was like that's like a lot of roma (laughs) It's like a lot of Roma. Yes,
1: it's very much like Roma. Yeah. I loved those little interstitial yeah. bits.
0: At first, you're like not sure what's going on with them. There's a weird technical thing happening where the sound completely drops out, and it's very jarring actually how it happens, but I, I do like yeah. them. Yeah, no,
1: I agree with that. It's his filmmaking has gotten a little more polished since he made this movie, but the content of them I found really fascinating. There's an early one where... They're in traffic and they're like joking about what could be making the traffic. And then when they drive by, you see that it's a pedestrian that got hit by a car. And then the thing we learn is like, you know, he had to drive, like walk this far for work every day. And you get these little details about this person's life and nobody claimed his body for two days. And like this stuff they tell you about him and you're just like, whoa, that was a heavy thing you just laid on me. And then we, <laughs> we move on to the
0: That's next part of uh, the implication is like teenagers. We're all living our lives and there's just so much other life going on around us that we're tangentially intersecting with and it's it's just it's really interesting. The other one that really hit me was the family that they hang out with. They reveal that they're forced to sell their home because a luxury resort is being built on the farm that they live on and they end up mm-hmm. moving to the city and the dad has to get a job as a janitor to support his family and he never fishes again and I was just like...
1: Yeah, it really, ends with he never fished again really and you're like... ah. Oh God, Coron! Why? Really? <laughs> I really liked. He, I think he is really good with threading in political stuff in the, as a backdrop to a story, which he absolutely does here. But also, there's really interesting class stuff happening with mm-hmm. them. I like boys, yeah. where all of them. Yeah, with the two boys in particular, but also with her because she does not come from money and has married into this rich family. And so you get all these interesting moments. She tells the story. Well, One of the interstitials, I think, actually, is about how when she goes to parties, the people try to embarrass her by making her talk about the intellectual things they're talking about. And she wants to ask them to list all of the teeth because she's a dental hygienist, but she never does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you're like, that's a great little moment. But I love the friendship between the boys and how mostly they don't talk about their difference in situations or if they do it's kind of joking but then when they're in a fight with each other it comes out right and one of them the old richer one starts calling the other one a hick yeah. and the other one starts talking about how their family just has stolen money because they did have like some sort of fraud thing where they had to flee for eight months right they he had he to move to seattle kid. or something <laughs> But then he's like, you know, oh, your family's stolen money and the richer one's like, well, it doesn't stop you from wanting to come over to my house, does it? And so you've got this ugly dynamic that comes out between them when their friendship is tested, which I thought was really
0: fascinating. Yeah. And as much as obviously Cuaron's filmmaking has improved, there are still some shots mm-hmm. in this that I love. There's a shot where, so Louisa, who's the woman, she has these moments where she is alone and we see her break down. And towards the end of the film, she is having a phone call with her husband in a phone booth. And she's saying, like, you know, I want this to be amicable. No, I'm not coming back. And she's having, like, a breakdown. And then also in the glass of the neighboring phone booth, you see the two boys who have sort of reconciled, who are at least surface yeah. level getting along. They're just playing foosball. And she's just sobbing. And it's like, that's, that's, that's yep. really, it's in my brain. It's gonna stay. That's that's in my mm-hmm. It
1: was a great shot, and just I mean, the way he moves the camera is always so yeah. great. Even early on, there's stuff where when she comes down to meet them, the way he shoots it is you're like up in her living room looking at her. She walks out the door, the camera doesn't follow her. It moves through the room and then to the window and out through the window, and you finally see her come out the building and go meet up with mm-hmm. them. He's just like, Quaron is so creative with the yeah. camera stuff. His stuff is always so fun to watch. It really yeah. got. Quite I thought it was really good
0: at the end, <laughs> and I just. I'm just so sad. I'm just so sad that they tested their friendship and they had this moment of intimacy. And there is that moment earlier, too, where she's like, why don't you two just fuck each other already? And yeah, she has said this to them as part of her yelling at them, like, clearly you guys just want to fuck each other.
1: And you're like, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, and then for them to have this, this moment of, you know, intimacy and for them to just reject it fully. Yeah. And then they never saw each other again. Mm-mm.
1: There's just a really interesting tonal stuff going on through the whole movie. There are lots of moments that are fun and light and then get really melancholy. I love when she tells them this story about her first oh, love yeah. and that relationship and how fun it was and the two of them. And she wasn't sure about how things were going to go, but then like they really loved each other. And he had this motorcycle and he was and so They were cool. saving up
0: money to move down to the Mediterranean yeah. together. And,
1: and the the boys are like, oh, cool, that's fun. What happened to him? And she's like, he fell off his bike and died. He was 17. Like,
0: oh. And you're like, fuck. Oh.
1: <laughs> he's such, so good with that little last punch. Yeah. All of the little in-between moments are like, he's telling you a story. And you're like, OK, he's telling me a story. And then it ends with a line that's like, fuck. He never fished again. <laughs> or her, or, uh, you know, Tanakh's story about his nanny. And then the last line of it is like, he said yeah. nothing. God. And you're like.
0: Oh God, it's all, it's life. Life is, life is so much. <laughs> yeah. And then I will say, I thought that the reveal was going to be that she was infertile. So I was a little surprised that she Oh God, that died. would have been fucked up.
1: Yeah. Surprise death. But it does, I mean, it makes her actions more. It really does. I think she really is just She's like, you know what? Out. Fuck it. <laughs> I got another couple
0: of months to live. What the hell else am I going to do? <laughs> Might as well sleep with these two. And we, we said they're teenagers and kids. They're adults. We said they're like, like yeah, they're they're exiting high school and yeah, entering they're, college they're is where they are 18, in their life. So just to be clear. Although, honestly, Diego Luna looks 12. He looks so young. Yeah. He has a baby face. Yeah. But no, the performances are also good. He's good. Gail Garcia yep. Bernal is good.
1: Yep, 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 um, yep. Oh, I also love... He, there's just, I get why the screenplay is nominated. There's so many perfect, great lines of this. You get why it
0: wasn't nominated for Best Foreign Picture?
1: I don't get that at all, but I understand why it was nominated for Best Screenplay. I love when they're going through the like betrayal period. And so when Julio first sees the two of them sleeping together and then he goes down to the pool and he's like having a sad time, the way they describe it is Julio had only ever felt this stabbing feeling above his stomach one time. And he talks about it being the, you know, when he saw his mom and, and his godfather together. And then when he does the reveal of having something, with the girlfriend, they say the same thing about Tanakh. He had only felt this stabbing feeling above his stomach one time, and it was when he found out from his family that they had to
0: move <laughs> to, Mexico to Canada I'm for rot. eight
1: months. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. The writing's super yeah. good. It's a good movie!
0: I really liked it. It really got me. I felt a lot of things. Cuarón!
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff.
0: He's a owns.
1: He's a good filmmaker two both quarons when are we gonna do the year with uh, children of men cuz i want to talk man. about children of men i don't
0: know but we'll talk about it i don't think it was nominated but we spoiler we're gonna talk about children of men guys
1: oh we're gonna talk about it talk about moving
0: the camera oh my god that that oneer <laughs> all
1: right i think we have stroked quaron's
0: ego enough it's an excellent film shall we talk about chicago let's do it chicago It's based on a Bob Fosse musical, which is based on a play from the 1920s. Very interesting. This follows the story of one Roxy Hart, who wants to be a star. Mm -hmm. And she's at a show with another performer named Velma Kelly on the night that Velma Kelly killed her twin sister and her husband. Because they were cheating on her together. Uh, The husband was cheating on her with the twin sister. (laughs) With the (laughs) sister. They were having an affair. She killed them. She goes to jail roxy meanwhile meets this guy who's like oh i can introduce you around help you become a star cut two months later he doesn't know anyone he's just a furniture salesman and he's done with her he's like we had some laughs doll but i'm out of here and so she's real mad and she (laughs) kills him and initially she tries to pin it on her loving sweet simple husband john c Riley.
1: Well they're going to say it's a it's a robbery yeah. like it's not like she was going to make him go to jail. No, but he was they going to take responsibility it was, uh, for self-defense. it. Self defense. Yeah. But it's
0: very quickly revealed that she did it and she did it on purpose. And so yep. she goes to jail and she's in the same jail as Velma Kelly who she looks up to, but Velma's not very nice to her at first and she's like, "Fine." I don't need you. Fuck and her. the woman who runs the prison, Mama Morton, tells her, oh, you need this hotshot lawyer if you're going to get off. You know, you could get hung. And so she ends up being able to contract with this lawyer who is played by Richard you. I was like, you know, him. we all know him. He's very famous. Sometimes the mind leaves your head right yeah. when you're trying to say it. So Richard Gere sort for the rest of the plot is their machinations to be able to get her off and her enjoying the newfound fame of you know being a sensational murderess there's some back and forth where she's doing really well she's more famous than velma kelly now she's the talk of the town but then an heiress murders her lover and two women that he was in bed with and she's no longer the talk of the town but then she reveals that she's pregnant and oh the spotlight's <laughs> back on her and poor john c Reilly thinks she's really pregnant with his child and oh boy she's not anyway She ends up getting off, but on the day of her court case where she gets off, another woman murders a man in the streets right outside the courthouse, and no one cares about her anymore. Fame is Mm -hmm. so fleeting. Sorry, kid. That's Chicago. The coda is that Velma Kelly comes to her. She's also been found innocent, and they have a show together. Two murderesses. Mm -hmm. Happy ending. Their punishment (laughs) is having to rely on each other for fame.
1: It's torture. Chicago. It's a musical. It is. I think it's fun. It's a satire about sensationalized journalism and criminal justice, and there's fun songs. I like the songs. I think that He Had It Coming is, like, legendary. Love that shit.
0: Oh, Cell Block Tango.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it does have an official name. (laughs) (laughs) They reference the original Bob Fosse choreography. It's not all, you know, exactly from the stage play, but there's enough of the fun of it. And then, Richard Gere learned to tap dance. He does a tap dance number. I think it's not a lot of what you would think of as being Broadway actors. You think of these as being like traditional Hollywood actors and I think they do a pretty good job. A lot of them do come from singing backgrounds. We learned Catherine Zeta-Jones has been a dancer forever and she has been on the West End since she was nine. But yeah i think they all acquit themselves pretty well in this i think it's a fun musical it's not reinventing the wheel but it's the return of the movie musical yeah. everybody it's, it's coming changed back cinema i'm impressed with rob marshall who's the director it's his directorial debut he was a choreographer and broadway director beforehand and i think he did a good job there's some fun stylistic stuff going on i like that when they cut from the regular action into the musical bits. A lot of it is like on stage. There's fun transitional
0: stuff in that. I think it's fun. What do you think of it? I also think it's fun. I agree. I like the way it cuts between real life and Mm. the performances. And I think there's some indication that you know, the performances are happening in Roxy's mind. I fully forgot Tay Diggs was in this movie as the MC. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Tay Diggs. I forgot Lucy Liu. Lucy Liu's the heiress. Yeah, I forgot that, too. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, Lucy Liu. Forgot that, too. Small part, but still yeah. you're like, whoa, it's her. I yeah. agree. Cell Block Tango is so fun.
1: Oh, my God. What a musical number. Just about a bunch of women singing about how they killed their husbands and boyfriends. And it was justified because they sucked. Yeah. Well, except that one Hungarian woman who was innocent and then got hung. I know. Her story is so really sad. Funny. But he does good stuff with the emotional beat yeah. of it. When she loses her last appeal, I think that is carried off yes. really well. And then adds weight to Roxy's story because she's like, everyone is living in a world where no woman has ever been executed in Chicago. Yeah. And so they're like, well, how bad can any of this really be? And then when she gets executed, everybody's like, oh. Apparently they will
0: hang us. Yikes. Yeah, but only if you're Hungarian and well, don't yeah, speak English and an have no lawyer. Yeah, no, but it's Block tango overall. I love the mm-hmm. red pieces of fabric that show like how they kill. As blood, them. it's just a delight. Yeah. I also really love the production of the press conference rag, which is the one where she's a puppet. Oh, it's so good. That one's a delight. This is the last one that we've covered for this year, where John C. Riley's just having a bad time. He's so stupid. He's just trying to love his wife, but he's not very smart. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> It's rough. It is, but he is Mr. Cellophane. Like his Mr. Cellophane. Like is great. His Mr. cellophane. Yeah, all of the performances are good. It's fun. The satire works. It's pretty straightforward. The satire is straightforward. It's not like you know the most layered yeah. thing in the world. No,
1: I mean you're not. They're not making you work hard no. for this one. <laughs> but you're like, yeah, I get it. They led around the the journalists. Yeah. They made them print this stuff, and now everybody's like, oh, this obviously guilty person right. is innocent. It's commentary on
0: fame. Yeah. And you know what? They didn't know at the time that it wasn't really going to bring back the movie musical.
1: No. Well, the year before this was Moulin yeah. Rouge, which was nominated for several things, but didn't win. And then this year they were like, okay, it's really happening. Movie musicals are back. And they weren't. No.
0: They weren't but back. But they didn't know that at the time. So.
1: <laughs> they could have come back. It's possible. It could still happen eventually. I don't know. But Who's uh, to say? Uh, hasn't yet. Who's Anything to say? it could happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't have a ton of thoughts about this. It's fun. I like it.
1: It's a well-made movie, but I don't think that there is a lot to say. I mean, if you like musicals, you'll probably like this movie. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Do you have a favorite lady
0: in the cell block tango?
1: I mean, I guess I will leave out Catherine Zeta-Jones because she's a main character and the Hungarian lady. That should not be your favorite part. Figure. I think probably the one that always sticks with me the most is the woman who killed her husband because he was popping his I gun. do like that, but I also
0: really like he ran into my knife. He ran into my knife nine my times. Knife nine times. I mean,
1: they're all legends is the thing about cell block tango. Is that the one where the guy came home and said he was she was screwing milkman, the yeah. milkman? So I fired two yeah, morning shots right
0: to into his head. His head. <laughs>
1: they're all so good. But yeah, no, not chewing. Popping. Popping.
0: I love that one. You pop that gum one more time. (laughs) It's funny on the Wikipedia page, I don't know if it's for the movie or the musical, but they describe it as her husband triggering her misophonia, and I was like, okay. Uh, That's the
1: most 2023 way to describe this. (laughs) Okay. This woman in 1920 was like, well, my husband triggered my misophonia, so I had to kill him. Love it. Great stuff. All right. Well, we have no double nose. To discuss so where does this leave us i do
0: think it leaves us at the question what should have won i mean i think we can you know give our opinions we've had a mix i mean so many movies to consider lots that we liked honestly some of my all-time favorite films so it's a good year for me
1: so there's so many things to choose from and of the things that we have to choose from I choose none. Yeah. <laughs> we got you. Bah,
0: bah, bah, bah. It's
1: the born identity. That's what you're have- doing. S- Psych. Psych. <laughs> Psych. We tricked
0: you. We tricked you. The whole two episodes were it's fake. It's a lie. The answer is the born <laughs> identity.
1: <laughs> what were you guys thinking? <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, it's obviously yeah. the born identity.
0: Yes, and we're so excited to talk about this one, but we want to really give some space for this yeah, conversation. Yeah, we couldn't
1: possibly include all that we want to say in this episode. That would be crazy.
0: So we're taking that to a part three. A part three solely dedicated to the born identity, plus our usual wrap-up conclusions.
1: Bonus episode! Very exciting.
0: So uh, sorry this ends a little abruptly, but we'll catch you next time and, uh, you know, do our usual wrap-up after really just getting into we're, the gonna, we're gonna
1: dive into it so be prepared in it's... the meantime if you want to reach out to us with comments questions or concerns we are available at oscarswrongpod at gmail.com we're on twitter instagram and letterboxd at oscarswrongpod and our website is oscarswrongpod.com if you're enjoying the podcast tell a friend leave us a review and subscribe new episodes come out every other friday at 6 o'clock eastern wherever you get your podcasts